Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Women in Comedy Festival. I'm your host, Amy. And today I have the pleasure of chatting to Alison June Smith. Now, Alison June Smith comes from Canada, but she's now based here in the North. And we chat all things comedy um, right from the get-go of the Women in Comedy Festival. She was there in the early days and then chatting about what it's been like as a woman in comedy and, you know, just being a trailblazer and making the path for the newer generation, but also chatting about what it's like to be a Canadian in the North and talking the difference between the Canada circuit and the UK circuit. Alison June-Smith has her own podcasts as well. She has a podcast called The Horror Motel and also Women Talking Bollocks, which you can find on all podcasts. And not only that, she is an award-winning comedian and also been tour support for the likes of um, Catherine Ryan and John Bishop. So sit back, relax, and enjoy two people talking about the love of comedy. I'm good, thank you. How was your set today? Oh, just... today was so fun. Yeah? Yeah, because it's an earlier show, right? So 4 p.m., so people are lovely. Do you think that sometimes the 4 p.m. shows, they're like, can sometimes be really fun or sometimes can they be a bit flat? You know, like Thursday is a mostly couple. Do you feel like sometimes that can happen? Yeah, but you know, that can happen. I, you can get flat any time. Uh, yeah, you can get flat any time. I don't think so. So far, every Saturday I've done here, I've always enjoyed. The afternoons have been lovely yeah. listening crowds, and they still have enough energy in them that they want to laugh, yeah. and they want to have a good time. Yeah. So, no. But I do know what you mean, because years ago, it's changed a lot. Look, the whole vibe of comedy has just changed, I think, right now. There were some Thursdays where I'd be like, oh, they were flat, or they were dead. Mm. Friday can sometimes be a flat night. That's true. Right? Because yeah. people are tired. And they haven't eaten properly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they come straight from work to the com. I remember when I was a venue manager, like Fridays was the worst night. Friday's always the dreaded night. Yeah. In my opinion. They're, yeah. they're so drunk and they haven't had a problem. They haven't rested. Like Saturday you've rested. Yeah. You've had a good sleep. Yeah. You're ready. You know you're going out. You're ready for it. Whereas Friday you're just like, Bleh. Yeah. There's more anger in an audience, I think, on Friday because it's a combination of tired uh, but still trying to party. I, I don't know. It's weird. The Fridays to me, yeah, you're right. They're always – and a Friday late show? Mm. Oh, God. Oh, I know. A Friday late show, you're just like strap in. Yeah. Strap in for whatever may happen because yeah, yeah well, those are the survivors. They are. <laughs> The people who made it to a Friday Late Show and you're like, I don't know what state you're in. I don't know what's going on yeah. with you that you wanted to be here. Yeah, even on a Saturday <laughs> night late show, I feel. Like late, like oh, I'm talking like 11 o'clock like, at night. Yeah, 11 midnight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, uh, I remember one time, this is in London, and uh, everyone was so drunk. No one was laughing, but us comedians, the comedians, not yeah. me, I'm not a comic, but us at the back we're just laughing at everyone dying. Because it's that's all you can do. And it's yeah. funny to us because we know that they're not dying because they're bad. They're dying because the audience is just so drunk. Yeah. And there shouldn't be a show. But and there's something kind of beautiful about that, though, because if you are a comic and you're watching all your other peers and it's like across the board, you're just seeing like, oh, this it kind of gives you a freedom to not really care as much how it goes because you're like, well, 
We see what's going on. I've watched the last three. Like, I'm just going to go on. And sometimes when you remove that, I don't want to say not care, but when you give, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, of course. If you're allowed, if you can give a little bit less of a fuck, I find you always kind of have a better show. Mm. When you're not so worried or panicked, when you, when we just learn that skill of just give a little bit less of a fuck, yeah, because then you're almost more level-headed and going into things. You know, it's. I'm sure golfers find it, wrestlers, yeah. any sort of individual. It's like finding that moment where you go, this is not the end of the world right now. Yeah. You know, and finding that. So I guess by give a little less of a fuck, it's like finding your comfort, just your place of like, yeah. Did you find that like as a female comic that took a long time to get to that place? Do you feel like the confidence of being a woman in comedy that that because I've heard a lot from other ones people talking about how like they didn't have confidence they had really worked really hard like is that something that you've had to work a long time to get to that point yeah well I yeah for sure for sure I mean we're digging in real deep real quick we're digging in real deep that's right I (laughs) like Kiwi and a Canadian let's do it (laughs) let's do it let's talk you gotta keep in mind though like my comedy life so I've been doing stand-up now for 23 years yeah and when I started to now it's a very different world for girls and I will say that for for women uh you know because we were not welcomed we were not welcomed in the beginning. So if you were a girl you, you, who lasted in comedy, it's this weird thing because, yeah, we were probably struggling with self-esteem, but at the same time it was like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm mm. doing this. And I almost wonder if sometimes that battle is what helped me to have more confidence even on stage. It's just yeah. feeling unwelcomed a little bit in the industry. And it wasn't the industry's fault because industry is ruled by uh, consumers. And if your audiences and your consumers are like, we don't really like the girls, which is what you heard for a long time, then wh- how do you as a club – you know, when when does society take the change and go, all right, now we're going to teach these people that they're going to listen to women. So I think it depends a lot on society and what society wants. So I feel the world is a different place right now. They want to hear different voices. There are more people who want to, you know, so <clears throat> so for me, I think, yes, it took me a while to develop my confidence but I'm almost grateful that it was a little bit harder for me as a girl because I think that really taught me to like tuck in. Like if I was going to last... You get over that. You get a thick skin faster Mm. as a girl than I think you would even as a guy because guys are just used to going on stage and having people listen to them. I used to think this is how I thought of comedy. When a man walked on stage, an audience audience would go, oh, I wonder what he's going to say. A girl would walk on stage and the audience would go, oh, a girl. Yeah. So we would start in the negative, right? Because they're like, I don't know if this is my thing. Uh, Um. So it it is a different. I think it's the best time ever right now, though. I agree with that. Best I think ever so. to be a girl in comedy right yeah. now is is it is a different world. Like if I started now, wow! And it's crazy too because even content that I listen to girls talk about, I was taught early days from my peers, don't talk about that stuff. Like yeah. you go out there and you start talking about that stuff, you isolate yourself as a woman and you lose the men in the audience and you lose like honestly and girls, even girls were a bit more judgy and a bit more like, you know, so now I don't know what it is. It's just the way society goes. People have changed. We have awareness yeah. and education on other things. It's a totally different game right now. 
Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of brought up um, that you've been doing comedy for 23 years now. So obviously yeah. you started in Canada, is that right? Or did you start over no, here? No, I started in Canada. Yeah. So whereabouts are you from? Whereabouts? Oh, well, Canada all right. are you from? I'm from a place called Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, yeah. yeah. 1988 yeah. Winter Olympic Games, for anyone who remembers that. <laughs> Eddie the Eagle, Jamaican bobsled team, that was our year. Um, yeah, so I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And is that where you started comedy? Like, what got you into comedy? Was it something you always wanted to do? Did you see someone on stage and go, I want to do that? Or was it something that someone, you know, you have your friends and they go, you're so funny, you should be on stage. <laughs> so what kind yeah. of started your career? Well, I was always a drama geek, right? Okay. I was a theater kid. That's where I found my my happiness, right, was yeah. drama. And I was very lucky that I found it very early. I was 13 when I found theater. And I often think, God, how lucky was I that I found my passion at that age? Because when you find your love, life just fits into place when mm-hmm. you have the thing that you want to pursue. Um, so I was very happy about that. So I always wanted to be, you know, an actress, right? I was going to be an actress. I uh, went to university. I became a drama teacher because for one extra year, I could get another degree. Great. Then I graduated and everyone was like, oh, are you ready to be a drama teacher? And I was like, fuck no. Like, this is not what I wanted to do. I did this as the backup plan. And everyone's like, well, you better get a job as a teacher. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm on the fallback plan before I've even pursued mm-hmm. being an actress. But like, look, I was in Canada. There wasn't a lot of like acting opportunities. And I'm um, not your what you would say your classical beauty i'm a beauty but i'm a different type of beauty well, right especially back then right yeah. because it was very much the supermodels ruled the world yeah. and the 90s and early 2000s we were still very much of the britney spears and the christina Aguilera's looking 100%. like we didn't have what we have today of the lizzo's and the yeah. you know um be proud of your body we yeah. didn't have that and acting too. Look, you could be an amazing actor, but it doesn't matter your ability. Do you look the part? That is what it always comes down to. Yeah. You can't act shorter. You can't act skinnier. You can't act brown eyes. Well, you can get contacts. Yeah. But like, there's just. So I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, it depends on me auditioning. To... And then I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder what stand up comedy would be like because that just requires me to be funny. And then if I could figure out where you go to do that, like that's a live performance form that I just thought, oh, it doesn't, I don't need to be cast. Nobody has to choose me. I can then choose that. Uh, So I decided to go to my first, like it was like, so in Calgary at the time, there was only Yuck Yucks in the Blackfoot Inn. And uh, you'd go on a Tuesday night, which was the amateur night. And you would listen to the headliner for that week, that weekend talk for an hour about whatever they wanted their experience da, da, da. you would just go you'd listen and then everyone would draw numbers out of a hat and you, that's how you got chosen whether or not you were going to go on the stage that night so I remember I sat there it was my first day I also taught so yes I did take a teaching job but then I went to my very first amateur night to balance it out because I was angry at myself so I showed up listened to the guy talk who is now a very good friend of mine Damon Schritter and then everyone was drawing numbers but I was the only girl there so the lady running the evening was like look, uh, do, do you want to go? Like we get so few girls. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing too. Yeah, being a woman in comedy was harder. But did I maybe get a few more chances? Mm-hmm. You bet I did. Yeah. You bet I did. Because I stayed. I was always there. Yeah. I went every Tuesday. I kept going. I was, you know, and 
And that's the other thing. I think a lot of women get shaken off pretty early. It's yeah. it's a hard industry. Yeah. And I get it for a variety of reasons. But because I was always there, it was like they were like, okay, this girl's sticking around. Like she so that benefited me. So that is how I started. I had no intentions of being a comedian. And then the first time I stepped on stage and I felt that, I was like, oh, this is yeah, I wanted to be an actress. Yeah, I did musical theater, yeah, but this is me in front of them. And I think yeah. I wanted that all my life was to be able to be like, here it is, here, you know. So I really, I loved that. And you get to, like you said before, like you get to be your own boss, the downfall yes. of being an actor or a musical theater. You've got so many hoops to jump through. You've got so many people making decision making. Yeah. Whereas comedy is like, are you funny? Did the audience laugh? for your five minutes, did you die or not die? And then boom, you know, like yep, yep. that that's how it is. It's that's... its you and you're your own boss, your own director, your own editor, like writer, mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. You're in charge of your own career to a point. Yeah, completely, like, and it, yeah, yeah. That's the <laughs> other thing. I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. I was like, I mean, I don't even remember what it's like now having someone be like I work with people and like I will, I will always, you know, do my best job for everyone, but nobody's my boss. Mm. I'm my boss. I decide if I'm going to go do a gig. I figured out how to get the gigs. You know, right now I, I have a lovely agent, Jessica. She's wonderful. She's excellent. And we've begun working together now, but this is 23 years, you know, in the making. And in the beginning, I'll tell you, there weren't a lot of people who gave any sort of a shit about a girl. They almost saw us as like, oh, God. Like, so uh, a lot of years I learned. And when I first came to this country, the UK, so I had done comedy in Canada for about six, seven years, had a TV special, done stuff in Canada, came to Manchester. You start again. Yeah. It's a restart. doesn't matter what you did there. And I knew that. And I knew that. So I was like, okay. So getting open spots, doing stuff, you know. But I found the way that I eventually got gigs. And this is so, this is, this is the secret, everyone. If you're a good comic and you work really hard and you're doing open mics, you're getting what gigs you can, eventually you're going to work with the other pros. They're going to see you. And if they're like, hey, you're good, and then you work with them a few more times and they're like, you're really good. If you figure out what comics are in at what clubs, you could say, can you put in a good word for me? Because no comic is going to back a comic who's not good yeah. because that's our name on the line. Yeah. I will only back a comic that I'm like, yep. I trust this. I would never. So for comics then to go to clubs and go, hey, you should give her a go. Promoters started booking me that way mm. because I found people that they, you know what I mean? Because again, it was early days, you know, eventually I got an agent and they were very good at like helping me find more things. But like to me, I was like, okay, it's always been self perpetuated. Like I've always done it myself. Yeah. 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 And then, um, so I'm just going to jump a little around a little bit, but because um, obviously we're, this is the Woman in Comedy Festival, so we need to talk about your tour, your show that you're doing with Daisy Earl. Daisy, yeah. Um, so talking about festivals, because um, you don't really have, you've got Just for Laughs in Canada. Yeah. But that is completely. Invite only. Invite, invite only. only. Yeah. yeah. And then, but Edinburgh is, have you gone to Edinburgh? Like, have you done, I know you've done the split bill, but have you done multiple years up no, there. I've done Edinburgh. I did one full year. Mm. Well, I have to be careful because I, I'm I am of a different mindset when it comes to certain things. Yeah. Um 
I did one year just as a mixed bill with two other guys. We were the Canadians of comedy mm -hmm. and you know, we did it and it was, it, it was a hard slog. Like, I don't think we really knew what it was. We just went and we were like, we'll just do 20 minutes each. We'll just set up a show. It was at 11 PM. It was top of it. Anyway, it was a hot room. Uh, it was, it was hard and not many people showed up. Uh, and you know, on our preview night, I'm editing because I don't want to say names, but on no, our preview night, so fine. Uh, we had a reviewer come in and uh, reviewed us on our preview night, just three comics doing stand-up uh, and, and just trashed us. And, you know, this was a reviewer that like people read a lot and, and knew. Uh, so my beginning of Edinburgh was like getting a horrible trashing review, horrible trashing review. And then like having to walk around and having everyone at Edinburgh be, be like, this is what it was like. It was like, they were like, hi, hey, how are you? Like literally you were like, oh my God. And like weeks went by and it was still like that. So Edinburgh to me was like summer camp where somebody wrote something on the wall about you. And then you're like, oh my God. So I think the festival has changed a lot. Um, I think it's also just a lot of money. And coming to this country, I... I yeah, it's a lot of money to do the festival. You, it's people don't understand like whew, to to pay the rent, to be up there, to to have a venue. To it, it's an and for me, everyone was in Edinburgh. That was my time to get into clubs. Yeah, because everyone was up in Edinburgh. I was new to the country, so I just kind of never really got into Edinburgh as yeah. the. Had I been taught from the beginning of my comedy life that Edinburgh is a part of what I'll have to do, which is what I think you were kind of taught out here, I think yeah. Britain yeah. really is like Edinburgh is a part of the process. And yes, you will have to lose 10,000 pounds. And that is just a part of becoming a comedian. And coming from a, a perspective not like that, I was like, I, I don't really... Well, especially if you're getting invited to, like, you know, you've got to be invited to their festival just for laughs. Yeah. So that's such a weird concept of like oh so I'm going there I'm paying all this rent I'm losing all this money I've got to stand out and <laughs> just hand out flyers and then have conversations with mates who suddenly change for a whole month yeah yeah and then everyone's looking over your shoulder for someone better all to the talk time to. who's gonna be the next person that's gonna you know, take yeah. me to the next level and then career. the noms come out and then everyone goes crazy it's yeah. a hard month yeah it, it's it, emotionally because you're like if things, you know, and it's like if things don't happen. I mean, I think what I've learned about Edinburgh is you have to go into it with a purpose. You can't just go into it hoping that like, oh, I'll get nominated or so I'll get discovered. No, you go into it with a purpose. What that festival is good for is using it. What do you want it for? Do you want to write a show? Do you want to um, see what it's like to perform every single day for 30 days. You have to find your personal goal going into Edinburgh and focus on that. Otherwise, I guess it's kind of like life, right? You have to find your goal and what's going to yeah. keep you in, in line at that point. Your goals can change, but if, if you just, I don't know, Edinburgh was such a beast. Now I get it. Now I see what it's for. But now when I would feel like, yeah, I'll go and I'll do my hour. It's all changing. And people are like, you don't have to go for the full 30 days anymore. And you yeah. don't have to. And I like that because now I'm feeling this whole thing is changing in a way that is 
good for everyone and what it should be, you know? Well, yeah, and most of the other festivals around the country, like, you know, you do a show or a couple of shows or you don't do the full, you don't do the full run. You don't do the full run of the Woman and Comedy Festival. You get one show and it's either doing a whip or you're doing your full hour and... So, you know, like I kind of like that concept of mm-hmm. a festival and there's no much, not as much pressure, I think, to come up as but it, well. it helps you to set a goal. Like, so Daisy yeah. and I will go into, yeah. you were asking about the show. So we're going to do Working Out, which is also what we did. So it's called Working Out is the name of the show. Yeah, we were going to get on to that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I, got to, I was like, <laughs> we'll go back to that. Yeah. Do you want me to go into yeah, it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's the goal. Great. So we're, we're going to. segueing nicely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love, yes. I love a good segue. I love a good segue. We're doing a show called Working Out. So Daisy and I basically, last Edinburgh, we decided we want to like heal our experiences and have a lovely festival. So she said, do you want to just do a work in progress? You and I will just split it. We'll each do like, you know, 25, 30 and we'll perform at 2.30 in the afternoon and use it as like you know, a practice to not performing to drunk people and and maybe do some material that is like we can take our time or do something a bit different or say it differently. And so we had such a dynamite experience and like people came and we we didn't even have to fly her all that much. So that's how I know there is a hunger in the world for different voices and for people hearing female comedians because I have never had that. And I said to Daisy, I go, oh, I thought this was all you because Daisy Earl, she won Scottish Comedian of the Year. If you, you know, I thought, oh, she goes, I don't know these people. I don't know them. Mm. I was like, these are people who looked at two female comedians on a flyer and went, let's go see this, which is mind-blowing still to me because I'm still in the – Really? You want to listen to two? Two of us? Two I girls? I mean, it's a good flyer as well. I think that counts. Your poster and flyer is yeah. so important. Yeah, a good flashy picture, yeah. something that grabs them. And the title, Working Out. Working Out. There will be absolutely no working out <laughs> of any physical sort of, right? We're just working out material. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why that's why we loved it. We were like, oh. So then we decided, let's do that again. For And working out is so good because now we can use that. If we want to go just put up a work in progress, we could be like, do you want to do 30, 30? Great. Let's do a working out show. Yeah. So we can do working out. Yeah. Anytime when we want to, you know, begin more new material. So, so yeah, we're really excited and I'm delighted that we're doing it as a part of the women in comedy festival, because look, this festival is really, it's significant. You know, Manchester in general has supported female comedy, I think in a way that, you know, people need to know, like when I first moved here, Laughing Cows yeah. was, uh, you know, so that basically Hazel was promoter and she was supporting all females and it was all female talent. And she gave me work before she even saw me. She's like, you've already done a TV special in Canada. I know you're going to be great. Here's some work. Mm. Whereas the other clubs, other bookers, other male bookers, I said it, let me see another 10. Let me see another 10. Let me see another 10. And she's like, I trust you. Yeah. So for people that don't know, Hazel is the founder of the Woman in Comedy Festival. And she started it, it, even though we're celebrating 10 years, it's because one year due to COVID, it's actually in its 11th year. And she started it 11 years ago across multiple venues in Manchester. And then about, I think, 2020 or 2019, she handed over the keys, if you will, to Jessica Toomey, who's the director now of the Woman in Comedy Festival, and I help program it. But yeah, Hazel is one, and I do say that to people. I actually said it to the comedy course today that Manchester, I'd have to say, is the most progressive city 
in the UK. Yeah. I, I, look, sorry, London. Sorry. Look, all the other cities, you're great. But like, I just, I don't know. I, I just felt a lot more support here when I first started than the, the, the fact that there, Hazel was doing that. No one was running all girl shows. It was like, ugh, ugh, that's mm. your nail in the coffin at one yeah. point. And she was like, no, it needs to be done. We're going to do it. It just, it made me happy. But, but that is Manchester, right? We are Manchester. We do things differently here. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. But it's been going. And like the last two years, it's been, you know, really picking up number wise. Yeah, this year it really started off with a bang. You know, so it's been a really good festival. And so talking about our shows, like how do you construct a show then? Like, If you're not doing a full hour, um, I was talking about it um, with Haley about how you can either just do like Haley does more like set work. And then there's the other comics who do the hour and the 45 minute. There comes the yeah, the sad, yeah, yeah. The sad part. Yeah. The dead dad show. Sure, it's, sure. So, so for you, obviously it's just working out, but do you have you constructed a show that way, or do you mostly just work on the hour of stand-up? Yeah. In that way. Like, how do you get that set together? Pretty much is what I'm asking. Yeah, I guess for me, because look, I'll be I'll straight up, I do a lot of sets in clubs like that's a majority of my life right I I have not done a lot of full one hour shows I think I've done like two three in my lifetime back in Canada um but I I work in clubs for money (laughs) so I am more of a set you know set but I find when you're doing a longer thing so in Canada look if you want to close clubs 45 minutes to an hour. So I've done an hour many times. Is it a show that I've created with a message and meaning and learning? No. Is it 60 minutes of like jokes? Yes. But what you'll learn is when you're doing that long of a period of time, here's what I think. You get them. You get them laughing. You have some chat with them. You do some material in the middle that kind of not allows people to take a break, but the human brain, and I used to be a teacher, so I can say this, can only focus for so long. Yeah. So it's almost like middle, it's not where you put your bad material, but it's like if somebody's brain isn't totally focusing and then they come back 10 minutes later, they're not going to be lost if they dipped out for a second because no human brain can focus can, like for an hour to no human brain. Yeah, that's you know. No, do you know the playwright Noel Coward? He wrote *Blythe Spirit* and stuff yeah. like that. He did a lot of repetition, so he said that the audience is not focused in the first because he's a. If you don't know who Noel Coward is, if you've been living under a rock, he is <laughs> a uh, comedic playwright of the 1930s and 40s. And he, yeah, all his, because he said the audience were not. They were restless. They were, you know, getting the sweets, opening up the bags having their drinks they weren't focused so you had to repeat pretty Mm -hmm. much the same stuff in the second act that you did in the first act yeah just to like give them a reminder yeah reminder oh remember this is where you are hey this thing let's bring it back to here yeah yeah but but you know it's yeah i i really believe that i i always say you know people are like oh write write for the smart people in the room and i'm like you bet yeah you want to write for the smart people but I don't want the less smarts to not be along for the ride. Mm. So like I'll always add in a few more things to be like, and I'll sort of explain that part if that didn't make sense. We move on, right? I, So I, I yeah, I, you got to write it. So I guess doing lengthy, I, I always keep that in mind that there's going to be a moment where people dip out 
but then you bring, so it's always like shows are like get them there establish a relationship with them hit them with some stuff take a little bit of a breather back in building 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 and then you're closing better bring it home whether it's an emotional thing whether it's huge laughter whether it's a big finisher set you know bit or whatever that's how I but that's how theater is too yeah three acts yeah right yeah it's three acts but a lot of um open micers don't understand that I'm always like hit them with your gold beginning your newest stuff in the middle and then close with your best joke. Yeah. And they somehow mix that muddle up yeah. and keep their good stuff in the middle. And I'm like, no, you've got to, you've got 30 seconds to get them on your side quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You That's know? the other thing. What's going to, you know, what's going to let them into you or how do you show them who you are pretty quick or yeah. So yeah, that is it. That uh, to me, I agree though. That's the best skill. And what'll be fun for them though, is when you're starting and you're like, Oh, my real good stuff. Over time, you'll realize all that stuff you didn't think was really good. The middle is now maybe the opening. So you begin to realize how you and your material change because it is also you as a person. I believe it's not always material. Mm -hmm. There are jokes that maybe you try at one point in your life and it didn't work. You say it like, let's say, five years later, two years later, a year later, it works. And they're like, nothing changed. What's the energy from within you. Something within you has changed. Yeah. A distance has been formed that now that joke is funny. Before the audience was like, ooh, I still feel whatever it is that that came from. It's too raw. Um, but that's just my opinion. Some people may be like, no, the raw is where you find the funny. But, you know, uh, everyone is allowed to. Well, I think you've got to be likable. <laughs> Look, you... You, you gotta be, you yeah. know. You, it's the hardest thing though, because you can't teach likability. You can. You cannot teach like. And that is when I started. I remember all the guys being like, "You are amazing on stage. You've got all this presence. Your likability is through the roof. It's just your material, and you need to work on." And now sometimes I look at comedians that are all razzle dazzle, all sizzle, no steak, and I'm like, "Geez." And I got told all those years ago, "You better learn how to write a punchline." You bet. And now people are like, "What's a punchline? They're not necessary." It's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, we're getting into a phase of like whoop whoop comedy. <laughs> can I get a yeah yeah? yeah I love can it. I get it? Yeah, I'm a yeah. yeah. And it's like that's not. That's not laughs. Who here had a birthday in the last three months? Give me a cheer. That's an MC job. That's an MC job, yeah. That's you, you know, because you do both. You're an MC and you're a a club. uh, (laughs) A set, a set set, person. Set person, sorry. My brain was. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I'm like also like, what are the terms? Everyone uses different terms. So we'll oh, go with set. We'll go with set. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with set. Yeah. So yeah, like just segueing on to being an MC, like mm-hmm. what do you prefer? Do you like doing both? Do you love just going, you know, I'm just going to be an MC and try out some new stuff and have I, a go. And... I love both, but I learned both early days because mm. again, in Canada, we have a lot of space and not a lot of people. That is what Canada is, right? Yeah. You know yeah, all about that. I, yeah, yeah. Right? I've lived in Canada. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, there's just like, it, I lost my train of thought there. Isn't that's, that wild? That's, we were talking about, I've lost my train of thought as oh well. Oh my God, that's emceeing. So, yes, because MCing. fewer clubs. You learned quickly, if you emcee, you will be able to work all those shows at least twice a year because you can go in as an MC and then you can go in as a set. Also, if you're a good MC, you might even play those clubs three, 
maybe even four times a year because good MCs are hard to find. Yes. So I learned the skill quickly. And also it was kind of presented to us because it was like, where do you go? You start in Canada. It was like you get a 10 minute spot on the weekend. You do good. Then you get a middle spot, right? You get that middle spot. You did good. But then where do you go? Like there's already a lot of openers and closers. So the only other option is really MCing. So you literally went from middling to MCing before anything else. So many of us learned how to MC very soon. Very soon. A, because there was a demand for it. And B, it was like, well, it's actually a pretty easy spot to slip into from, you know, and if you learn at early doors the skill of MCing and not being afraid to talk to people in the audience. And I didn't know the rules when I moved here about MCs and sets and the differences. Because again, in North America, Canada, we're all doing longer sets. You just do what you got to do to survive. Are you going to talk to Gary in the front row? No problem. Talk to Gary. But you'd probably say to the other acts on the show, oh, hey, I talked to that guy there. Here, I didn't understand that only the compare technically is supposed to be talking to the audience. And then you do your set and you and you watch Canadians and people are like, wow, Canadians are really not afraid to talk to the audience. I was like, yeah, well, we didn't know the rule if you're not supposed to. Like it's. Yeah. So it is. And and so I do like it because it does give you the opportunity when you MC to chat with people, go with the flow, be loosey-goosey, find some things in the moment. I mean, that's a joy. Uh, but I also love doing sets because I like to know that I can make people laugh every 60 seconds, right? Yeah. I'm I'm an LPM's girl. Laughs per minute. Yeah. I like laughs per minute. If they're not laughing, you know, yeah, that's why they can't. Yeah. And I was taught that so early doors, like, Go, laugh, laugh, laugh. There's only a few comedians, I think, that can master the storytelling comedy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And hey, But even storytellers, they got their laughs yeah. in there because they learn their timings. I'll do this, I'll go to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's how I learned comedy. Like, I didn't really understand jokes and punchlines for many years. What I would do is I would just try something on stage, and if it worked, I would do it a few more times. And anywhere where I realized the audience was laughing, I would underline. And then I would tell myself, okay, how do I get to that underline bit faster? So I taught myself kind of like, don't waste too much time. Where are they consistently laughing? And then eventually I learned like jokes, comparison, listing, all that. you know. But in the early days, that's just how I did it. Where did I find my consistency? All right. They always laugh there. Great. Do you think like your theater background helped you with that? Because in theater, you have to have that. You've got to have 10% of your brain on because you've got to remember you're blocking. So yeah. not only do you need to be in character, but you've also got 10, that 10% going, okay, you need to stand here, move here. Oh, I've got to move over there. I've got to get there. Oh, no, I haven't gotten there. So do you think that kind of helped you to be your own critic or your own editor in a way? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably because, look, I was a theater teacher. I was I was directing things all the time. So, yeah, I could break it down. I could block things. You know, it was like monologue work. It was doing work with a monologue where you're like, take a beat here. I used to, like, mark in my monologues, put a slash there, underline here. What do you title this section of the monologue? You know, so I did break things down. So maybe, yeah, you're right, Amy. It probably did help me to, like, chunk it out that way. Yeah, because yeah, you've got no teacher, right? Your audience is your teacher, unlike that's the, probably the good thing about acting is you go to drama schools or you go to university and you get people who teach you. You've got a director who helps you. Yeah. In comedy, you are just learning it all on the fly. Mm -hmm. And like you said, moving from Canada here because North America has a completely different style of comedy. Totally. To England and to the UK, sorry. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think I was lucky being from Canada because Canadians, we are part of the monarchy, right? He's... 
Charles is about to be on our $20 bill, everyone. It's happening. We are a part of this. So I understood sarcasm. I understood timing. You know, I had watched, you know, various, like I had seen Father Ted growing up. Like I I got the, you know, I could figure it out. I needed to learn parochialisms and and build my arsenal is what I learned because I also came right to the north. I didn't go to Fancy Pants London where it's very international. If I had gone to London right away, I mean, who knows? I don't know. I feel that by being in Manchester, I learned how to do comedy in England. Agree with Scotland. that And Scotland. And like I learned how to do comedy in the UK, whereas London, I would have been able to get away with all my, they're just more international, which is great. But when you want to learn how to do good in a country, go yeah. to small towns, go to Grimsby. Yeah. <laughs> It's true, though, because you get a lot of London acts, um, no shade on them, but Mm-mm. get a lot of no- London acts coming up and they're still talking about the tube. They're yep. still talking about things to and do they with can. the South. We know the tube. We get it. We understand. But, but it, you do your research. Do your research. Because when you're up here in the North, you have to learn. You've got to learn that Manchester is different to Liverpool. Oh, do, and don't you think Salford is part of Manchester? They are separate places. They're everyone. separate places. And don't say Salford. It's Salford. Salford. It is. There are, you know, so things like that you really learn. The, the different, and because the UK is so, what's the word I'm looking at? Uh, not, not territorial, but, you know, Liverpool's Liverpool. Scouses are Scouses. Manx are yeah. Manx. You know, it's all. Proud to be where they're from. Yes, yes. Because there is that, I think it's from all the wars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had a lot. You've been involved with many. many. Uh, well done. So you understand, you know. But uh, so I, I had to learn that. Like I had to learn that skill out here, which was really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. But I was lucky too because I got to be the fish out of water. So I could, yeah. you know. But we've even had it over in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Like we've had comics come over and do British jokes and the whole audience is like, No. <laughs> Well, and that's a real, you know, I actually, I won't say names again, but I've been hired by fancy pants comedians, comedians yeah. who have very fancy to world tours to go over their material to go, would this make sense in Canada? Mm. Would this make, because sometimes it's just wording. It it's is. just knowing the thing to say there. Yeah. We don't do that here. Uh, you know, there's certain cultural things. And so I think, again, having perspective in that regard is great. Because yeah. you'll, you'll have a British act. What was it? Uh, lovely Rob Deering, who is an amazing comedian, did a showcase. I remember him telling me this for American something and did a song about Conkers. Conkers? Conkers is like, you know, do you know yeah. what Conkers is? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what Conker is. I didn't know that it was a little, you know, nut thing that you. And so he's like, they didn't laugh. And I was like, well, they wouldn't know what a Conker is. Like, we don't. And he was like, yeah, I learned that after. I was like, yeah. We don't do conquer wars yeah. or whatever you did. I didn't grow up looking for the best conquer to battle other like. So that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. things Little like thing, that. I know, and it's funny because p- comedians don't even think about that. Like I remember no. one was saying like Hoover, and we say vacuum, vacuum. Yeah, and he's and they said Hoover, and the audience was straight away were like, we well, you clearly have not changed any or done any research. Yeah, and they couldn't understand it. And when I said it was that, and they changed it the next night, and they got big laughs. Because I was like. Boom. Boom. And and a comic will go, well, it won't make that much of a difference. They'll get what I mean. It does. It, those little changes can change everything. But I think the problem is, is that comics don't realize that the audience wants to be in the Wizard of Oz with you. 
They want to be in the magic. They want to be taken away from their lives. They want to laugh, you know. And then as soon as you say one thing that takes them out of it, they're like, oh, you've just ruined my Wizard of Oz moment. Yeah. <laughs> they really put it on you sometimes. They're like, yeah. you ruined this for us. For us. And you're like, well, <laughs> if you had just forgiven me, we all could have just gotten back on. And it would have been, we sometimes. still would have been, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Just don't look behind the curtain. It's fine. But it is. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're getting more and more like that with the whole TikTok world. Oh, God, don't even get me reality started. Reality shows. I mean, that's a big thing. You look, comedy's changed a lot in regards to, like, social media and always having to put material out. I mean, I don't, you know, as I'm a comedian, you scroll through any of my, and it's like every comic, it's clips. All you see is clips of people mm. doing stuff. When I started, there was a lovely thing called anonymity. And yeah. you could do something and walk away from it, and it was done. I am so glad that there weren't recorded evidence of all the things I said. Because also, I said a lot of things when I started learning, who am I? Do I really have that thought or am I just saying it because it makes them laugh? That is something that I think comics, if you're going to grow your voice, grow who you are, you need to be able to have some room to make mistakes to, to, you know, I'm not saying you should go out there and be an asshole or a racist or a jerk, but I think pretty quickly you're going to get booed off and people, Yeah. but like you need to say some things that maybe people would be like, wow, I can't believe you. And I'm so glad that I got to have those years and be in secret. Now, if I was a comedian, you starting out, you think everything has to go online. Yeah. And like in 10 years time, you're going to look back at that and go, oh, why did I put that out there? Why did I put that out there? And also, let's slow the roll, everyone. Like, is it really necessary for everyone to write a new bit every hour? I don't think it is. Because no. you know what? A lot of them aren't funny. I said it, comedians. If you, if we just took a bit more I time. Like we're on radio right now. We're yeah. on talk back. But it's like if you gave yourself a little bit of time, you know, I just, I don't believe any mm. human can create. And hey, you can come at me and say, well, you don't create enough. That's fine. But I just don't think the pressure of like creating new it should be more important than creating good. Yeah, I do feel for the the TikTok age because mm-hmm. it's it's just, you know, I could be wrong, but I just feel like it's not longevity. No, compared to acts like yourself, who have who have stayed you know. in it and and now having to adapt to this again. Like, but a lot, you know, it's funny because Freddie. Freddie Quinn, who is the MC on the show that we're, and I hope actually it was funny when we were talking and I could kind of hear the audience listening. I do hope that comes through because I love the idea that we are doing a podcast right above a comedy club. Yeah. Like it's literally, this is real, everyone. Um, he was talking about a newer act and he had said, Yeah, I like her because she's in it to be a comic. You know, she's mm-hmm. not always, she doesn't really put her stuff out on social media yet. She was, and I was like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does that even exist anymore? And that made me really happy to hear that there are people who are like, I still want to get good before I start putting it out there. Yeah. 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 Take your time. Well, I keep saying to open micers, like, just enjoy the process. Stop trying to think about getting the agent or being on TV. Like, forget about that stuff. Like, focus on just enjoying being on stage. Yeah. And having a good time. Yeah. Because once the industry comes in, it can warp everything you don't know which way your career is gonna go yeah and just remember this the best you get if you get so good the better you get everyone will just want to work with you anyway so i get it maybe you should pursue or whatever but like get so good that everyone just wants to work with you anyway yeah at the end of the day because you know what 
There are more comedians that are not TV stars. There are more comedians than there are. So if your goal is fame, lovely, great, pursue your goal. But not everyone is going to get famous. Do you want to be a comedian and make money and make a living? I own a house. I have a dog. I pay my bills. I am living the life that as a junior high girl, I wanted to live, which was being a live performer and my own boss and getting to do it. To me, I am succeeding and I am doing it the way I want to do it, doing the things I love. So fame is one thing. And don't get me wrong. We'd all love it. Da, 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 but not everyone can be famous. No. But you haven't failed no. if you're not famous. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I kid you not, if you can make a room full of stands and ha uh, stags oh, and hands laugh or a Christmas room during Christmas, if you can make them all laugh, which yeah. most of them aren't interested in being there, that is success. Yeah. That's success because they're the hardest rooms you're ever going to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's um, a really nice place to kind of end it. Wrap it up because I got to prepare up. for my stags and hens that are coming yeah. on the next Ooh, show. <laughs> the APM show. She just had the lovely matinee and all that. But we will, you know, yeah. So um, Allison and Daisy are in the festival on the 15th of October at 5 p.m. at Fierce Bar. Yes, working They're out. Working out. Come laugh with us. Come support us. Come enjoy the revolution that is females in comedy yes and it's great uh and yeah thank you thank you for doing this and thank you no, for having me on the podcast thank you so much for being here